Anything that, that you felt in your heart God was t- calling you to give up or that God was saying, this is not for you. Uh, maybe it was something small, like a small thing that, that you uh, struggle with or maybe just a, a lifestyle thing that, that God has spoke to you and said, that's not for you. You need to change that. You need to give that up. You need to, you need to look at this and, and, and let that go. Maybe it's a person Maybe it's an emotion that you feel or something that you believe about you that's not what God says is true about you, and God would say, you need to let that go. Uh, Have you ever had God just sort of interrupt you and say, this is not the way for you? Has anybody ever had that, or is it just me? Is there a couple of you guys in here? Okay, I'm I'm, I'm seeing God's moving. I see see your hand in the back. Yeah, God. All right, you know, uh, I have to tell you this story. My brother Joe was here. Who remember this story? It's about the bolt. Remember the bolt story? The bolt story. So anyway, uh, in my young days as a believer in Jesus, uh, I, I discovered skiing, and I became like a ski fanatic. I mean, we skied every opportunity we could. We were so psycho that we would bring our gear to, uh, uh, in our car and go to first service, and as soon as, as soon as the preacher said amen, we'd head out the door jump in the car and go up to Mount Charleston to get the afternoon of skiing in, right? Like, woof, 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 and be like, yay, praise the Lord. I'm an outdoor, outdoorsy kind of guy. I love being outdoors. Uh, we're not when it's 115, but you know what I mean, right? Balance. And so anyway, um, uh, I have a buddy who has a, uh, has a deal uh, up at uh, Brian Head Ski Resort. And the deal is he's got a room and, and lift tickets and he asked me if I want to go. I go, absolutely, I want to go. Man, count me in. And then, um, uh, you know, and then I'm, 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 I'm like, man, I, I got to have someone go with me. I got to, I got, you know, you just can't drive up by yourself. I mean, I would do that, but, you know, I'm going to go up with somebody, right? And, and as I'm thinking and plotting and I go, okay, get my skis, this, that, and the other, it's like the Holy Spirit whispers to me. I don't know if this has ever happened to you where the Holy Spirit just whisper and said, don't go. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> Don't go. <laughs> like, I'm gonna give not go skiing. Like, that even makes sense, right? And I just like, I just brushed it. You ever brush aside those whispers? Some of you have. So I see a lot of heads nodding over here. Here, nothing. You guys are not. You guys always. So I, so I, I like, I'm going. I'm going, right? And and then the Holy Spirit whispers again. And he says, and again, not audible, but just in my heart, he says, there's something wrong with your car. And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's nothing. I'm going skiing. There's nothing wrong with my car. You know, I just, oil's I'm going through the checklist. Everything's good. Tire, I'm good. I'm great. No, 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 Lord. <laughs> You're not right on this one, right? So I call my man Joe. Joey, Joey, Joe, Joe's got music, Joe's got snacks, Joe's good company. And I'm like, Joe, look, look here, man, we going skiing, bro. You working today? He goes, let me call you right back. I have no idea what happened after that. But then he calls me back, I'm in. I'm like, dude, be here, we are going, man, it's all paid for. What? Oh, praise the Lord. So here, off we go, driving up to, you know, you've, you've, if you've ever driven up there, you know, like toward the end there, it's a steep incline. There's some real hairpin turns. And, and I'm not even thinking about what I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. 
And so we, we, we're kind of like, eh, make it perfect. And all of a sudden, my engine light, flash, stop engine, overheat. I'm like, what? And as soon as I saw that, I remembered, there's something wrong with your car. I went, no, it cannot be. It, uh, has anyone ever done that besides me? Okay, one of you. Thank you. Oh, now I see. Now, yes. Thank you, sis. Uh, so we we stumble into the hotel, park underground, and and I'm like steaming, and like, and I can tell, you know, I can tell it's the thermostat. You can kind of tell, right? And so I go, well, look here, Joe. We're not fixing it today. Let's ski for an hour, because that's all the time we had. Dropped our bags, got on the lifts for an hour. Praise the Lord, this is so amazing. And we'll fix it tomorrow. So I don't know if it was later that evening or whatever. We head down to Cedar City and bought a thermostat. cost me like $10,000, right? I mean, it's like, what? You can't possibly be that much. You know how it is. It's like Baker, California mechanics. They're all millionaires, all of them. They live in Florida during the winter. They do on the beach, right? (laughs) Man, I'll go to school and learn how to fix this before I pay you that much money. Anyway, uh, so uh, so no we we go we get the thermostat and then we're and we're putting it in and Joe my man Joe is like he's underneath and he's cranking it mm, and like easy I'm thinking okay okay Lord okay I get it I shouldn't have come thank you L- lesson learned I'm sorry Lord and he's cranking I'm going I'm holding the flashlight going all right Joe 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 hey 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 Joe because I'm watching the car like like Joe you're cranking it snafu <laughs> my man my man. My man breaks the bolt. I went, no, no, no. This is going to cost me my firstborn child. No. We got to get it towed to Cedar City. No. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Here, just take my whole wallet, all right? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> oh, it's an Audi 4000S. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. It wasn't like a Ford pickup, right? You know? Anyhow. Uh, you know, I've learned, and I'm, I'm learning. It's good to listen to the Holy Spirit. How many of you would say yes to that? Ah. Uh, it's good to listen. We had a good time. We had a good time. It was eventful. I'll never forget it. The bolt. Listen, our life in Christ is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice. Jesus put it this way. If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me. Believing in me, conforming to my example, and living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Luke 9.23. When the Lord calls us to sacrifice something or wants to redirect our plan or wants to get at something in us that is a thought or an emotion or something that's not correct, whatever that is, there's always a purpose even though I may not know what it is at that time. It is never for nothing. 
there's always something behind it. Some of you are participating in this 21-day fast that we're doing, and I know that some of you are fasting meals or going without food or, or, or fasting from uh, sugar or from carbs. You know, hey, fasting from carbs is hard. Let me tell you, you know, you could, you know, you, you may be eating, but, you know, trying to even put a meal together without carbs is like, okay, uh, I better get on Pinterest for this one, right? But you're fasting, biblical fasting is fasting without food for a specific amount of time. It's a time to press into God is to allow our spirit man to increase and that flesh, that aspect of me that wants to go its own way to decrease. It'll give me greater discernment. It'll allow me to hear his voice. Oftentimes in the scriptures, it's done during times of national calamity. It's to show a brokenness or a contrite heart. Um, uh, it, it's, it's done during times of, of, of warfare, during times of, of, of battling against the flesh. Uh, and, and against spiritual forces. And so I want to look this morning at the life of a man named Uriah. And I absolutely love this guy. I love him uh, because of his, his, his mindset and the way that he uh, processed the situation that we'll look at. You might be familiar with his wife. Her name was Bathsheba. Okay, so it's that, Uriah. Uh, his wife was, was Bathsheba. And the Bible says this. There was a season of war which meant that it was a time for warfare because in ancient fighting, you could not fight in the winter because of rain and it's hard to slug uh, a, uh, a chariot through mud. And so I could just picture the scene, you know, when the, when the rain starts, everybody goes home. It's like, yeah, man, I'll beat you in May. No, I'll be here in April, man. Yeah, you better be here. No, you'll, you know, and I'm going back and forth as they go their separate ways because you can't really fight, right? So the Bible says it was a season or a time for war, but David stayed home. David should have been out with his men, but he stays home. And it says he's out one evening, and he's out on his upper deck, maybe overlooking Jerusalem and just maybe contemplating the things of God. And he looks down, and he sees a woman. And he goes, what? What, what? And she's bathing. And he goes, what, 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 what? I don't know that he said that, but I'm saying, I'm saying he sees her, and he's like, oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh. You know, in Luke chapter 4, it says that the enemy tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And then he left him for a more opportune time. Well, this is a more opportune time for David, but he doesn't realize it. So he sends someone to go find out who she is. Listen to the answer and the warning in the answer. First Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 says, He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Our focus this morning isn't on the man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel, um, the man who... God said, through your lineage, Jesus the Messiah would come. When I read things like this, it's a sobering reminder to me that nobody's perfect and that nobody is beyond temptation. And that if there is an 
more opportune time for David. There's a more opportune time for me. I used to very boastfully say I would never do that. And the Holy Spirit reminded me in the right time, in the right place, you might. Don't ever say that. And I say, by God's grace, I would never do that. Well, if you know the story, you know that Bathsheba gets pregnant. Uriah is out on the battlefield. His wife gets pregnant. It's easy to do the math because when they left for battle, they'd be gone for a long time sometimes. And that's going to come up. So it says in verse 6, then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. And he told Uriah, uh, go home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Could you imagine this? What a schemer. I mean, King David, no, no disrespect, but he's like, yeah, send me uh, Uriah. And I'm imagining that Uriah, is, he's in the middle of the battlefield, and it's like, Uriah, headquarters now. And he shows up. It's like, what? King David wants to see you. What? For what? He didn't say he wants you, and he wants you now. And I'm imagining he's going, Doesn't that he, does he not realize that I'm in the middle of, okay, okay. So he goes home. And, and, and David's like making small talk. So Uriah, what's up, man? How you doing? What's going on? How's the war? Fine. What? <laughs> you know? And he says, you know what? Go home. Just go home. And Uriah's like, okay. And, 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 and he gives him a gift. What was the gift? Maybe, maybe like, like some, some chocolate. <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, uh, the greatest Jerusalem romance music. I mean, what did he... What you, oh, a bottle of his finest Babylonian wine? I mean, yeah, go home. Here's a gift for you. Go home. Go home. You know what's happening here. You know what's happening. You know why David wanted him to go home. He's trying to cover this whole thing up. But Uriah doesn't, because of where his mind is, he doesn't go home. He stays at the palace. Ah, David's not done yet. It says in verse 10, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked him, what's the matter? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? Like, dude, what's your problem? Go home. <laughs> Uriah replies, amazing. Verse 11, the ark of the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents, and Joab and my master's men are camping in open fields. How can I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife I swear that I would never do such a thing. Is that awesome? I mean, this, this, this guy's cut from a different cut of cloth. No. Verse 12, did we mention to you that David is a man after God's own heart? That he's the sweet psalmist of Israel? That through his lineage, Jesus the Messiah would come? Did we mention that? No? Okay. Watch this. Verse 12, well, stay here today. David told him, and tomorrow you can return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. What? Have another glass, Uriah. That's hilarious. You know, he's like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I'm with the king, right? And he, and he gets him drunk, trying to get him to go home, right? And it says, but even then he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Again, he slept at the palace interest entrance with the 
king's palace guards. Not doing it. See, despite David's attempts, Uriah refuses to go home. Israel is in the middle of of a war, and Uriah has a warfare mindset. He's not letting anything distract him from the battle that that he's been at, and he knows he's got to go back to that battle. So he's staying in this mindset. And I wrote this down. We, too, must have a spiritual warfare mindset. See, the day that you said yes to Jesus, you entered into a battle in the heavenly realms. Hell, Satan, and his minions did everything that they could to keep you out of the kingdom of God. But you uh, saw Jesus for who he is. You you acknowledged him. You, You asked him to forgive you. You're in the kingdom of God. It's too late now. He can't touch you. He can't get to you. But he can try to make you ineffective, and he can, try to, he can do everything he can to mess up the things around you. So the day that you gave your life to Jesus, you entered into spiritual warfare that you never knew existed. And I would back it up even to the day you were born. You entered into a realm of warfare. It's just that for the most of my life, I didn't know it at all. I'd be like, man, there's something's up here. I don't know what it is. I know what it is now. Like an old neighbor who told me, he goes, you know what, man? I don't get it, but he moved outside of the city. And he said, it's just different out there. It's not the same. Like, like in the city, there's all this, I don't know, it's like hard and it's, t- it's tough. And, and I said, and as a believer, now I know, yeah, there's all this warfare in this city. There's all this spiritual stuff happening. And so I wrote these things down that if since, not if, we're in this spiritual battle, and, and now we recognize that, we too must have a spiritual warfare mindset. That is, we have to know who our enemy is. We have to know who our enemy is. We have to know what our weapons are, and we have to know how to use those weapons. Could you imagine being in a war and not knowing who your enemy is? That defines me before I was a believer. I had no idea that this was battle was raging literally for my soul, and, and I had no idea that who the enemy was, right? Oh, and then could you imagine being in a war and, and knowing that you're in a war and maybe knowing who your enemy is but not knowing what your weapons are? Okay, go fight. With what? I don't know. Just go fight. i got to have some weapons. Oh, well, we don't have any weapons. Or could you imagine being in this war, knowing you're in a war, and then, and then knowing that you have weapons, but not knowing how to use them? You know what? If you have weapons and you don't use them in a war, you know what you are? You're a casualty. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about these things, and he gives us the answers. In chapter 6, verse 10, he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, he says, put on all of God's armor. That tells us us about what our weapons are so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of, here's our enemy, the devil and his demonic forces. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Sometimes you think it's, it's that person or it's that job or it's this worldview or it's this system or it's this music or it's that. And it drives me crazy and I can't. And it's like there's something else beyond that. Sometimes we look at the person in the flesh and we think that's the one that we're warring against. And Paul says, no, there's a whole strategy and a scheme happening in heavenly realms that we have to battle against. Wage war against that and watch what God does. He says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms or heavenly places. Therefore, and he says this a couple of times, put on every piece of God's armor. There's our weapons. How do you use them? You put it on. You put on his, his weaponry so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. And he mentions these weapons, which, is the, which are the weapons of a fully armed soldier. The belt of truth. Put on truth. Walk in truth. Stand in truth. If it's a lie, get out of it. If you're living a lie, keep, stop doing it. Walk in truth. We cannot be effective soldiers for God if we're walking in lies. So he says, first thing, walk in truth. Let that be the center of who you are. And the body armor of God's righteousness or the breastplate of righteousness. If we're not walking our truth, our heart will be tainted. If our heart is tainted, our whole body is tainted. So therefore, we have to guard our heart above all things. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news uh, so that you'll be fully prepared, walking in peace because uh, uh, we're, we're standing in truth and because our hearts are protected, therefore we have peace. Walk in peace so you'll be prepared. Uh, and then hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Nothing else is going to do that. Oh, oh, parents, are you praying? And I'm, I'm, do, I'm wanting to do more and more of this to pray. Lift up the shield of faith against, my, against the fiery darts directed at my family, directed at those that I love. We got to lift. Listen, if the shield of faith is lying on the ground gathering dust, I'm not using it properly. And they, what does that mean? That means there are fiery darts that are coming my way, and I got no defense against it. It's like the enemy might, might as well just knock on my door, and I open it up and let him in. You've got to lift the shield of faith, he says, to extinguish the fiery darts. And then he says, put on salvation as your helmet. Guard your mind from philosophies and worldviews that are not biblical, from feelings and emotions that are not biblical, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we talked about two weeks ago how that word for word is not the logos, the written Bible, but it's the word of God actuated. It's the word of God spoken, the word of God alive. It's what I say, thus says the Lord, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's the word spoken. That's our weapon. It's the word actuated. You've got to have the word in your heart so you can speak the word when you need it. All right. So back to Uriah, he fasts from going home and being intimate with his wife. Listen, there's nothing wrong with him going home. There's no law or prohibition against it, but he decides to sacrifice something that, you know, you imagine he goes back to the battle and like, man, what did David want? I don't know. It was really weird, man. He told me to go home, so I did. You did? Yeah, I went home. I was chilling with my wife, man. Oh, it was so good. And No, no, Uriah couldn't do that. 
he sacrifices. He fasts from sex with his wife, from intimacy with his wife. He fasts from that. There's nothing wrong with that. You can't do it. There's a literal fast where you go without eating food. And there's a spirit of the fast where you go, you participate some other kind of way. Some of you, during this 21 days, you're, you're participating in a different way. But you're, you've joined in the spirit of the fast. Uh, he's not fasting from food, Uriah, but he's got a fasting mindset. He's got a warfare mindset, which we need to have. And he's got a fasting mindset, which we need to have as well. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul the Apostle speaks about, about uh, uh, marriage and about abstaining from sexual relations for a season during marriage. Listen to this. He goes, do not deprive each other from sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. That's interesting. Paul the Apostle would say there might be a season in your marriage where you would fast from that for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of pressing into God. That's, a, that's the spirit of the fast, right? Uh, uh, then he says, afterwards, you should come uh, together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, every couple, just real quick, every couple has their own rhythm when it comes to that, okay? And I know that there are, there are physical issues as well that are part of that equation. So having said that, let me say this. In marriage, I believe that our adversary, the devil, wants as much sex as possible outside of marriage. As much as possible outside of marriage. When you do that, you're participating in his plan. Secondly, it doesn't matter what form it is, as much as possible outside of marriage. And I believe because sexual intimacy is, is much, much more than physical pleasure. It is the entwining of body, soul, and spirit. And it is more than anything else meant to give value. Therefore, the least amount of sex possible in marriage could be a scheme of the enemy. It could be. Real quiet in here right now. Everybody just look straight ahead. Do not deviate to the left or to the right. Don't even nod your head. I see some brothers going, amen, brother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nay, nay. Moving right along. Our life in Christ is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interest, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, and living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. At some point, at some point, our journey with the Lord is going to cost us something. When I got born again, I did not know that. <laughs> I'm like, I am born. Listen, I told my friends, I'm a Christian now, man. They're like, really? Yes. 
What does that mean? Well, that means that, uh, like, what the guy said was, was that, like, Jesus now lives in my heart, and my sins are forgiven, and when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm in. I'm, in. I'm so happy. I was telling everyone. And, and, and like, right? Now, do you want to go to heaven, too, when you die? No. What's wrong with you? How can you not? Well, I couldn't get it, right? Because now that I see it, I can't believe why no one else sees it. It took me 26 years to see it, 27, right? I didn't know about the sacrifice part. And it was like, yay, I'm a, cr- I'm, no, no, thank you. I'm a Christian, right? You know, pull out the Christian card. Sorry, no drink for me. Okay, maybe one, but that's it, right? You know, <laughs> what up, Jay? You know, ah, I was so happy. I was so thrilled. And then, then it was like, okay, Holy Spirit starts working. And there's like a big party in the heaven. And, and there's like, you got a, your name. And, and then it's like, okay, okay, you need to get rid of your girlfriend. I say, what? What? Say, what? No. No, uh-uh. What? Oh, see, that place over there, you can't go there no more. What? That's all my peeps, Lord. Yeah, I know it. And see that stuff over there? You can't listen to What? There was a, 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 a couple of months where a missionary lived with us. Uh, he was part of a prayer ministry. It was really cool. And, and I was playing some of my old jazz music, right? And, uh, and he recognized the artist. He goes, oh, yeah, John McLaughlin. I go, you know John McLaughlin? He goes, yeah, I used to listen to that stuff all the time. And I go, used to? What do you mean, used to? He goes, well, I don't listen to it anymore. I said, why not? I mean, just music, man. And he goes, well, the Lord took it from me. I went, what? The Lord took it from you? I went, well, man, he didn't take it from me. Wait, wait, this is a good part right here. Right? I <laughs> I didn't get it. I'm like, why would God take music from you? And it, I understood later. Music's powerful. Music will take you back to a time you don't want to go back to. Music will take you back to a person you don't need to be thinking about. Yeah, always and forever. I'll always. It's just like a dream. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Oh, my gosh. Take you back to 1999. Back in the joint. No, sir. Right? I didn't. <laughs> I'm so much freer with you than first service. I don't know why. I don't know why, but you got to be careful. And, and I got it. I, and I understood it later. I understand now. I understand now. Um, all right. The Holy Spirit will ask you to give something up, to not go there, to stop doing something, to change your thinking. Um. And it may be a very natural, small thing. And it may not be something in the Bible that is wrong, but it might be something that for you, it's not okay. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is saying something to you that's different. And remember, this is all a part of our personal, spiritual enrichment. And yours is different than mine. Because something that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to me may not be something that he speaks to you. See, others can go to that movie, but you can't. Others can listen to that music, but you can't. Others, young ladies, listen to me clearly. Others can dress that way, but you shouldn't because of who your daddy is in heaven. Others can talk that way, but you can't. Others will 
will eat a certain way, but you can't. Others will have a drink in moderation, but you can't. See, I'll never forget the day when I was early in youth ministry, when, when we had the kids over, right? Bachelors, we don't know. Had the kids over, and I had, I had a couple beers in my refrigerator. And we tell the kids, hey, eat whatever you want. I mean, we didn't provide meals, Miss Yvonne. We just told them eat whatever. They, was, you know, they had to figure it out. And so a kid opens up my refrigerator, and he goes, hey, Richie, what's that? And I look down, and I go, it's beer. And he goes, what are you doing with that in your refrigerator? And I said, I'm waiting for y'all to leave so I can have one. <laughs> what you think I'm doing with it, yo? Uh, you still love me? Listen, listen, listen. I, I didn't know. I, didn't, I got it much later. And I said, okay, that's not right. That's not right to have that there because I don't know what that kid's situation is when he goes home. I don't know if that kid's struggling with alcohol himself. I mean, what if he would have said, cool, I'll see, I'm going to stick around. Oh, what? No, 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 you can't do that. Well, you can have one. Okay, right? There's no way out of that. So I, I learned. I learned. Um, others can spend money on that. You can't. Here's what it's not, though. Careful. Listen, listen. It's not a universal standard that everyone else needs to follow because the Holy Spirit's telling you that. Oh, I can't believe you went there. What kind of cri- man, What? You better relax, man. You don't know what God's doing in someone else's life. I used to be judgmental. I'm t- I, I can have a critical judgmental spirit like that. Somebody would, would, would receive a, a, a Grammy Award. I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus. I about explode. Have you heard your music? What kind of music is that? You talk about praising God. What about your album? You talk about da, 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 da. Uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, hey, 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 hey. The name of the Lord's being lifted up. You don't know what I'm doing in his life. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know. Don't judge. In fact, instead of judging, you need to pray for them. And I went, oh, Lord, help. Must so-and-so come to Christ. Fully, 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 like all of us. So it's not that. It's not a way to score points with Jesus. It's not a religious exercise to make you feel more Christian than other people. And it certainly isn't an opportunity to judge. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians talks about, about the, the dilemma of food sacrificed to idols because some people were going to the temples and buying food that had been sacrificed to idols. And some of the other believers were like, you can't do that. What's wrong with you? So he addresses the issue. And he says, listen, first of all, you know, don't, if, if, that's, a, if, if that's something for you, then don't go there. But then don't be a stumbling block to other believers who might think it a problem. Like, I'm not going to, if that's an issue for you, I'm not going to invite you over and then serve you food that I know was sacrificed to idols. It's good meat, but I wouldn't serve it. Like, where's the meat from? Oh, it's for the temple. I can't believe it. Well, what's wrong with that, man? You get in this argument. We get in arguments all the time with other believers of stuff, stuff that means nothing. I mean, it doesn't mean a thing. Anybody ever argue with you about pork? Would you relax? Come on, people are dying without Christ all around us, and you're worried about a pork chop. Really? 
All right, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, verse 13, it might be verse 8. You might want to check my reference on that. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. And that's, that, and that's the law of love. That's the law of love, right? So I have to be conscious of that. All right, here's what it is. Um, it's a self-denial mindset, a warfare a mindset, a fasting mindset, and a self-denial mindset. We have to have that, okay? Because it's an opportunity to grow in holiness. It's a chance to say no to our stubborn flesh. I suggest once a day you tell your flesh no. Just go, no, just so your flesh knows who's in charge. That's that entity that wants to rebel against God. No, I'm not getting that extra 20 minutes of sleep. I'm getting up because I'm going to spend that time with the Lord. No, I'm not going to that website, Flesh, because you know it's never good when I go there. No, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not watching that movie because it'll get me all messed up and my mouth won't start running. No, I'm not doing that. Say no to the flesh once a day. As the spirit, I can't tell you what that means because it's different for me, right? Say no. Listen, Uriah never knew that this simple act of self-denial would be written in the eternal word of God. We're, we're, we're amazed at his faithfulness. And we, and we struggle with David's sinful heart. But there's a lesson in all of that. He never knew. He also never knew that he would die because of it. Isn't that something? He, he ended up dying for that. Well, sometimes it's the Lord wanting to get at something that has caused a divided heart. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, almost done, a divided heart. So many things can take my affection from the Lord. So many things can, can just, to where I'm consumed by this thing. And it's like, man. And it begins to take, it begins to divide my heart. Psalm 8611 says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Oh, is that an amazing prayer? Give me an undivided heart, God, that I might fear your name. Two quick stories, story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. Zacchaeus was, was, was short. Jesus was coming to his town, and he wanted to see him. He's got a few problems. He's altitudinally challenged, and he's despised by everybody. Everyone hates him because he's a tax collector. Tax collectors could, they had to get whatever Rome said they had to get. Anything above that, they could overtax people, and you had to do it. So he was despised and hated. He, he sees Jesus' path. Maybe it's through the center of the town. He sees a tree, so he climbs up the tree, and he just wants to see Jesus. That's all. And he sees him, and he's like, well, here he comes. There he is. Jesus stops and goes, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. What? <laughs> what? And everybody went, what? You're going to his house and not mine? Yep. And he gets everything ready, invites all his friends over. Jesus shows up. And when Jesus 
as he encounters Christ, this is the, the revelation that he has. He stands before Jesus and says, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their tax, if, hello, since, maybe he said if, I'm just saying, I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Can you say amen to that? Yay. How about this man, Zacchaeus, is like, man, I'll give, I'll give half my, everything, half of it, sell it, and give it away. I'll, I'll give away my possessions. He doesn't say sell. He says, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated, Jesus is like, okay, my work's done here. You're saved, bro. You're as saved as anybody in this village. You don't think he was a changed man? Listen, there's another story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes, you know the commandments. What do they say? And they talk about the commandments that have to do with dealing with other people. And then Jesus says to him, yeah, but there's one more thing. Sell all your possessions, give the money away to the poor, and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler went, what? Because it says he had great riches. And guess what? He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He was being called into the inner circle. And because, because of money, he couldn't do it. Now, the difference between the two is that Zacchaeus had money. Money had the rich young ruler. Back to Rich Mullins as we conclude. It wasn't about taking a vow of poverty. Like, you're a Christian, so you're supposed to be poor. It wasn't it. And it wasn't about being like St. Francis of Assisi, who took a vow of poverty. It wasn't that. It was that he knew that money would divide his loyalty to God. He would have a divided heart. That's why the guy said, there's nothing wrong with, being, with money, being rich. And he goes, well, there is for me. That's it. That's it. So what he did was he found out what the average American wage was. And he set his salary at that. Then, when he died, he had no idea. No one had any idea how much money he had actually made. Maybe his accountant did, because he gave all the rest away to churches and to ministries. By God's grace, money did not have a hold of him. So here's, here's my, my, my thought. I want you to write this down. Write down this question. What divides my loyalty to Jesus. Would you write that down and meditate on that and try to answer it? What divides my loyalty to Jesus? I don't presume to know that in your life. I want to know in mine, and I want to answer it. And as a form of backup, Ask someone close to you this question. Do you see anything in my life that you think divides my loyalty to God? Would you ask somebody else that question, someone that you trust and that you know loves you? And after you ask the question, you ready? Shut up and listen. 
Can I say shut up in church? Shut up and listen and don't defend yourself. First Chronicles 28.9 says this, David's last words to his son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a what? With a whole heart and a what? A willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. And oh, how true that was in David's life with Bathsheba. Now, it's too bad that King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, of course, apart from Jesus, it's too bad he didn't listen to his father's last words. Hear me. Listen, listen. His heart was divided, and it was divided by women because he had 700 uh, girlfriends and 300 wives. And the Bible says his affection for God went this way, and he began to worship idols. Listen, serve God with an undivided heart. I'll leave you with this by G.D. Watson, and then we're going to take a missions offering after. So G.D. Watson ministered in Los Angeles as a, Wesle a Wesleyan Methodist minister, um, 1924s. And he said this, <clears throat> if God has called you to really be, to, to be really like Jesus, he will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things which he will not let you do. Other Christians and ministers who seem very religious and useful may push themselves, pull wires, and work schemes to carry out their plans, but you cannot do it. And if you attempt it, you will meet with such failure and rebuke from the Lord as to make you sorely penitent. Others may boast of themselves, of their work, of their successes, of their writings, but the Holy Spirit will not allow you to do any such thing. And if you begin it, he will lead you uh, into some deep mortification that will make you despise yourself and all your good works. Others may be allowed to succeed in making money or may have a legacy left to them, but it is likely God will keep you poor because he wants you to have something far better than gold, namely a helpless dependence on him, that he may have the privilege of supplying your needs day by day out of an unseen treasury. The Lord may let others be honored and put forward and keep you hidden in obscurity because he wants you, uh, you to produce some choice, fragrant fruit that is coming for his coming glory, which can only be produced in the shade. He may let others be great, but keep you small. He may let others do a work for him and get the credit for it, but he will make you work and toil on without knowing how much you are doing. And then to make your work still more precious, he may let others get the credit for the work which you have done and thus make you make your reward ten times greater when Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love. He will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite, sovereign, 
who has the right to do as he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in the dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to be his loved slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which only come to those who are in the inner circle. Settle it forever, then, that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit and that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue or chaining your hand or closing your eyes in ways that he does, that he does not seem uh, to use with others. Now, when you are so possessed with the loving God that you are in the, your secret heart, pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the vestibule of heaven. Amen. We want to give this morning to our missionaries, so if I could have the ushers come forward. You guys are 